Good day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to our 16th episode of Series 6 of This Week in Startups Australia. Our theme for Series 6, taking the Australian ecosystem from good to great, gets stuck into the statistics that tell a story. For five years, Startup Muster has taken a snapshot of the nation's startup activity. And once again, we're here with Monica Wolf and Murray Herbst to explore the trends and find the meaning in the numbers. Some of what we'll hear, well, it may be hard going. Data and consequences on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by MYOB. Running a startup is pretty cool, but doing the books isn't. MYOB makes it easier. For your free trial, visit myob.com slash twista. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by the University of Technology, Sydney, supporting students to become startup founders. UTS is engaging, inspiring, and connecting students to take the leap as startup founders. Check out what they're up to at startups.uts.edu.au. And This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Campaign Monitor. When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com twist. of year again when all the data has been gathered, collated, calculated, and digested startup data. We're here to look at the fifth annual Startup Muster Report with Monica Wolf and Murray Herps. Welcome, Monica. Welcome, Murray. Hi there. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> all right. Give it to us straight. What are our key takeaways from this year's report? How many, how many startups did you talk to and what did they say? Dear God, uh, there's <laughs> piles and piles of data around us. Uh, we talked to a lot. Uh, this was a, a record sample for Startup Muster, uh, but 140,000 questions answered by uh, 1,600-ish startup founders, 800 future founders, and just over 1,000 startup supporters. Uh, and I think for the first time, uh, I'm not breaking anything now because uh, the report is out, but uh, I am still reeling from what we've seen in this report uh, in terms of, for the first time, some actual negative uh Results. All right. Um, everyone, listeners at home, take that sip of whiskey. Murray, give it to us straight. Don't sugarcoat it. Monica, what's the bad news? Well, I think the one that really speaks to me is the fact that the number of women founding startups has decreased compared to the previous years. So in 2017, it was 25.4% were women, right. and now it's 22.3%. 
Okay, so that's a 3% drop, which is in, in relative terms about, what, 11% overall from the number of the previous year. Yeah, it's significant, especially when you look at all of the resources um, and, and packages and well, programs that are being promoted to women right now. She starts, SHEO, SBE. Tech, tech Ready Women. Right. That's an interesting thing to start thinking about. Well, what's actually happening here? Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? And we'll come to the whys, but mm-hmm. let's okay. So that's <laughs> that's one. But then there's another bit of a shocker here. Yeah. By far the most common question we get asked at Startup Master over the years is uh, how many startups are there in Australia? Uh, we got sick of being asked, so we thought for the five year anniversary we'll actually do the work uh, with uh, Data Sixty One. So Data Sixty One has been wonderful in pulling through five years of Startup Master data and pulling out a population estimate Mm -hmm. so that we can finally say, here are the number of early-stage startups in Australia. There's two shockers. Firstly, uh, we're very strict about who we allow into the data for Startup Master, so Mm -hmm. they have to be addressing a large market in a scalable way. Uh, Using technology. So it's not your hairdresser (laughs) doing a startup. It's it's someone who's doing a SaaS product or something like that. Right. 100%. So because of that uh, and the work that we've done. Uh, The total number is, I think, less than a lot of people expect. Uh, We came to 1,465 active early-stage startups in Australia in 2018. Mm -hmm. And the other shocker is it's down from 2017. (laughs) It's been going up each year up until 2017. And now we've got a 12.5% decline according to these numbers. Exactly. Wow. So there are fewer women and there are fewer startups than there were last year. There's a, a slight corollary to that, uh, which is the age of startups. Mm. So the average age in months has gone up each year uh, since uh, 2015, from 19 months in 2015 to 36 months in 2018. Yeah. And you can see, am I allowed to go into insights? <laughs> I think you can see from that, startups are becoming more mature, but not being replaced by the next generation of new startups being started. And you could say either there's not more people going into startups or there's not talent to feed new startups. Something is wrong. And I think we're looking at that So this is a literal demographic crisis. This is similar to what we're seeing in basically all of the Western cultures where the population is aging and you have people retiring and they're not being replaced because there simply aren't workers to replace them. What we're seeing is something that's analogous to this now happening in startup land where we have startups aging and eventually they'll stop calling themselves startups because something will happen and they'll stop thinking of themselves as a startup and they'll simply take themselves off of the the map in that sense, and they aren't being replaced by new startups. Now, this to me flies in the face of what I'm seeing. I mean, we're sitting here inside of the Sydney Startup Hub, which is the little buzzing beehive of activity. You personally, because we've already discussed this on the program, is are basically trying to turn 10,000 students a year into entrepreneurs, and good luck with that. <laughs> but, I mean, and, but everywhere I turn, I mean, I, I travel around the startup community in these countries. I'm as I'm as mystified by this data as you are. Hmm. There's a lot more support. Yeah, I definitely, think. definitely way more support out there. Um, we're probably going to be seeing that there's going to be more repeat offenders. So people right. that have founded startups before are probably founding them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and also maybe controversially, maybe we're all in a bubble. I mean. Right. Maybe we all just know each other. Don't use the B word. The, the bubble. <laughs> 
the well, uh, kind what, of... Are we already controversial enough with this report? Well, <laughs> but even if we do all know each other, and I mean, Australia, this is one of the great advantages of Australia, is that you tend to be no more than two degrees of separation from anyone, and often one degree of separation. So that's that. the bubble is a natural factor of our population size. But you also have investors funding startups and they're clearly still finding startups to invest do we have numbers sort of about the rate of investment and investment is that changing has that been dropping or is the the amount of investing going up i i think we're seeing uh, all around us more investment available mm-hmm. uh, i think that's obviously this look at the number of funds and the size of funds that are being opened and mm-hmm. that naturally leads to more investment mm. I think that also naturally leads to larger companies. Uh, right. I think if you were in an ecosystem where there wasn't funding available, you would expect there to be more early stage startups than larger startups. So oh. maybe that's what we're seeing as well. So is this perhaps the fact that these 36-month-old startups have a lot more employees? And so actually there are a lot more people working in startups, but they aren't founding them. They're going to work in them. Is that maybe one way to read this data. Well, we're seeing a lot more future founders. And Mm. one of the things that are told to future founders, if you're looking to found a startup, join a startup. Right. So that's one thing that could lead to that. Um, But, you know, we are still seeing a really strong representation of outsourcing. You know, still about 70 or 73% of our startups outsource work. Um, and most of that work is done in Australia. So, um, and when you look at some of the reasons why, cost is one of the reasons. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, is that more of these earlier stage startups outsourcing um, or is it? So what are they outsourcing? Their marketing or their? Uh, software development, legal, accounting, um, a lot of those kind of service providers design. Right. Um, outsourcing, I think, uh, sorry, I think software development is like the third highest thing right. that they're outsourcing. And of course, we have Canva if you want to outsource your design, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? Or Envato. Oh, I mean, too. the thing is, we're actually really good at building startups that allow you to outsource a lot of what you're doing at a startup. I, but, you know, when you look at when you look at what might lead people to found a startup mm-hmm. an element of it also is as like the aspirational element mm. and when we do only have a number of startups that seem to be meeting success criteria like atlassian canva um you know power ledger um, let's say flare as well is hitting mm-hmm. that mark these days um when it's few and far between like that can be a little bit demoralizing you know so um maybe we're in an in-between stage where we need those 36-month-old startups to maybe hit 50 or so months Mm -hmm. and then they really start to, you know, be up there with the Canvas and the Atlassians. I I hope. I just don't think we've got the pipeline for a a whole bunch of different Canvas and Atlassians. Uh, I just can't see it. There's what people say there's 300 tech startups on uh, tech stocks on the the ASX. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you look at how many are actually scalable tech companies, and that's a much smaller number. Right. Uh, I think if Atlassian took 13 years from founding to IPO, yeah. we need to fix the funnel today uh, to figure out who's going to be the next Atlassian in 2030 plus. Yeah, I mean, we also, the, the pace of IPOs as exits has changed radically, right? Because there's a lot of capital around. And so startups are often just taking more capital from a bank or from a mezzanine rather than going to IPO. I mean, Uber should have done an IPO, everyone knows, a few years ago, but they've had both trouble and they also found it cheaper to go to the market and just ask for money. So maybe we need to think about 
everything about startups a little bit differently because maybe some of the models that we were that worked a particular way 10 years ago don't work the same way now we don't know yet exhibit a yeah uh, <laughs> which uh, is uh, <laughs> plans to list on the asx uh five percent of australian startups are planning to list uh in at any future. point yes which wow. I think if you're an Australian investor looking to buy some stocks and have some some part in the success of whoever is going to be the next success story, right. I think that access is now a problem. Does, is there anything in there about it, those that are planning to uh, use crowd equity? Did you ask that question as well? Uh, yes. I've gotten two proposals from companies that I'm familiar with, startups that I'm familiar with that are going with crowd equity. Which uh, we had thought had meant that they were low-quality investments, but I know these companies, and neither of them are low-quality investments. So this is not what's going on. Because GoFar, Danny and Ian were in here talking about this just a couple of weeks ago, that they're going for crowd equity. Because it's a good marketing mechanism, not just a good way to raise money. It's also now, it's more readily available to do it, or easier to do it than what it's what it has yeah, been Yeah, the law's before, been changed so, to basically allow it. Um, yeah, so that also very much helps. And the thing, interesting thing about the ASX one is that 5% has been pretty constant over the last few years. So you it's know, never really been very alluring. Well, at least not in the last three years from when our data is kind of showing. Um, but, you know, it's even when we're talking about, you know, number of full-time employees, it's still really heavily skewed towards below 10 full-time employees working for a startup. So, And that's even the ones that are out 36 months then. So this is also interesting. I mean, again, to come back to GoFar, which is probably now in the 36 to 48 month, and they still only have seven employees, right? And they do have this legion of, of outsourcers. So does that then mean that what we think of as the startup community has, in, has a much more sort of interesting fringe where it's not cut and dry. It's not you're either in a startup or you're outside of a startup, but you're in a startup or you're supporting a startup. I've always used the word extension employees. So even Startup Muster, we outsource certain bits of work locally, mm. even to the people in this building we've been doing cons consistently yeah. over the last few years. And those individuals, I, I kind of see them as employees. I see them as part of Startup Muster. But, you know, are they are they on our regular you know monthly payroll? Yeah. No, they're not. Um, so, you know, um, and it is the requirement to have different service providers for different parts of what your startup needs to build. Uh, but I think what it goes down to is like we're still seeing that there is strong demand for certain skills and experience, um, or especially around the technical field, mm. that are going to have a disproportionate impact on the ability for your business to grow and scale. And, and we need those skills. And we're not we're not getting those skills. This is what you're saying. Okay, so where are our biggest drawbacks in, in the skills that you're talking about? Where are we seeing the biggest hole? In Technical, software, technical. development, UX, UI, design. So what we think of as, as the core skills that are in, in modern technology. Yeah. I mean, funnily enough, marketing is still coming up as the most desired skill to have on your founding team. Mm. Um, yeah. You've got to be able to sell your product. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, outside of that one, it's always the technical skills that really hit home. So we might be hitting, in, a, in that sense, we might be hitting some limits to growth. You know, we think in a chemical reaction, the speed of any chemical reaction is always limited by the one thing that runs out first, right? And then the chemical reaction can't proceed. And if it's happens to be some, some set of technical skills, and that runs out first, then that puts a natural limit on how many startups can exist, how many startups can form. Is that a possible explanation for what's going on? I think anecdotally, certainly. Uh, it's 
the most common question you get asked is, uh, where can I find a tech co-founder? Yeah. Uh, that seems to uh, never go away. Um, but it's you then have to balance that the, the top issues identified are consistently, we need tech talent, we need investment, uh, we need customers. And if you give startups that, they'll still say they need those three things. So it's really hard to pull apart what is part of this the normal problems that every startup is going to have and what is part of a limiting factor to the growth of the ecosystem System as a whole. Yeah. But in that particular thing, when we're talking about tech talent, I mean, it's also an incredibly expensive resource. Yeah. So, you know, if you are a non-technical founder, you're already going to be limited because you need that technical expertise to grow and you also, but you need money. And how are you going to get money when most investors don't want to invest in a non-technical founder? Which is not a problem elsewhere. Like, uh, imagine if I put in front of you the prospect of this startup and you knew half a dozen other people who had been uh, 100 million or billionaires from other startups that they started a few years before you were able to start. Suddenly that becomes a more realistic proposition for why you're willing to work for a, a pittance, mm. which I, I think we're lacking here as well. The, the uh, exhibit A's of success all around people. Uh, we've got a few, but I don't think enough and not visible enough to uh, the young people around us. All right, we're going to put a pause there and we will come back in a moment talking to Monica Wolf and Murray Herps about this year's rather sobering startup muster. MYOB saves businesses time, helps improve cash flow, gets invoices paid faster, gives real-time visibility of profit and loss, and makes payroll easy. With MYOB, you can create, send, and track customized invoices. This is awesome because Australian businesses can wait on average 43 days to get paid. With MYOB, your clients can pay you directly from your invoices. People who use the MYOB online invoicing solution get paid four times faster. MYOB software will let you know when you've been paid, then update the accounts. You don't have to lift a finger. MYOB's online solutions make pay runs quick and easy, ensuring all of your tax and super payments are compliant with the Australian Tax Office. You can save half a day every month on processing employee pay. MYOB's mobile app means you can create a quote on the job, send invoices straight from the app, and even get paid on the same day you invoice. 1.2 million businesses in Australia and New Zealand use MYOB. Startups, sole traders, and small businesses, all the way up to companies with hundreds of staff. Whatever your stage or size, MYOB has a solution for you. Twista listeners will get a free 30-day trial, and the first 50 people to sign up will also get $100 in cash. Go to myob.com twista for your free trial today. And we're back talking to Monica Wolf and Murray Herps with the Startup Muster data for 2018. So the other interesting thing is we've crowned a new king top industry focus. What's going on with that? 
So AI is our leading industry. Fintech has led it for the, I think the last two or three years, and yeah, AI is at twenty point six percent, and eighteen point one percent of our startups are in fintech. Okay. So yes, we have got a new we have have a new crown. Um, but I think it's relevant to put here that you can with startups and how startup master works is that you can select multiple. You know, um, there are plenty industries. of firms that are fintech AI firms. Exactly, absolutely. So it's not that you have to choose one. Um, and actually, when you have that mixture of say AI and entertainment, mm. that you get really interesting um, outcomes. But yes, it it has it has. Um, so what are our top sort of five ish categories? Yeah, so it's AI, fintech, education, IoT, uh, marketing. Okay. And so education, IoT have always been up there. Mm-hmm. MedTech is the sixth, and yep. it's also usually been up there as well. Yep. Um, and so that's that's not too much of a surprise. Um, but yeah, AI has grown quite significantly in its participation over the last uh, three years. So in 2016, it was 6.3%. Yep. 2017, it was 14.5%. And now it's 20.6%. So we would say we would, we would say on the billboard chart, that is rising with a bullet, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's what we would be saying on that. Okay, so we can see this very rapid growth in AI. And there's nothing that's, I think, particularly surprising about that because because that echoes the larger world and the larger world now finding, and you know, AI is a catch-all for machine learning, for certain kinds of algorithmic, whatever it might be, and and for a lot of stuff that wants to pass itself off as AI so that it can be marketed better. Exactly. So that's that's kind of how I see it as well, is that Australia, we have always been working on the industries that everyone is working on globally and mm-hmm. this is a really a, a good example of that ai is rising whether it's you know israel or in the us and and we're we want to be a part of it and we are a part of it just because we're geographically further away doesn't mean we don't have access to the same tools that they might be using or we might not like that we're not seeing that the market trends that are happening or that we don't have really good programs in artificial intelligence at the major universities as well exactly so um yeah so i mean i'm i'm not I'm not surprised. Um, fintech's still there, so don't worry, guys, all you fintech fans. Uh, you guys are still relevant. <laughs> but, oh, there's probably um, a whole bunch of fintech plus AI people today. Exactly. <laughs> they're, they're, thrilled, AI, yeah. Yeah. they're thrilled, man. They're thrilled. Okay. All right. So we're seeing, I guess you think of it as a sort of a, a shift in emphasis, not so much away from fintech, but toward AI. And of course, one of the things that folks who study AI go, it's kind of like talking about electricity. Eventually, it's just going to kind of make its way into things. And we won't talk about AI as being a separate thing. It'll be another tool in the toolbox that a startup will use to solve whatever set of problems have a lot of data associated with them. So, okay, so we're in this, it might be a blip, it might be a wave, but we're in a period of time with that. Let's come back to that first original shocking statistic, which is that the ratio of women in startups is down significantly. We've seen sort of a 10% year-over-year drop down in the number of women participating in startups. Do we have any depth of understanding about why that might be? Startup Master and myself, we had looked into uh, what what the data has been saying around that, mostly around the 2017 data, because as the 2018 data is very fresh. But, you know, it does come back to these, or could come back to these bigger factors of the fact that, you know, a lot of 
um, a lot of female founders are non-technical mm-hmm. and it's and it's perceived to be harder for them to be able to find a technical co-founder and then also I mean if they're non-technical then they probably will have to f- seek funding somehow and if they're approaching traditional VCs and whatnot if you're don't have that technical expertise in your team it just makes it that much harder um, it is surprising when you do see so much um, I guess programming marketing and whatnot going towards women in entrepreneurship and startups and I think that this data really shows that we need to controversially move past the Facebook advertising and actually look at, okay, well, what are the core fundamental things that we need to be trying to change? What are the cultural changes that might have to occur to facilitate a change in this number to keep rising up rather than going down? And, we, and of course, if you're pointing back to this, this, this point about women being in STEM steam, you know, and having that set of skills, that they are the technical founder, right? That they aren't just someone who needs. And because that's almost a very old way of thinking about the woman as the weaker, the lesser, the less important. That if we're falling back into that mode, then we're definitely not going to get the results we want. So we have to have that idea of bringing women into STEM STEAM programs, which then falls back into, in a lot of cases, do women feel respected and or safe in those places? And a lot of situations that has not historically been true and you're still I still hear stories that make me pull my hair out about the way women particularly at the undergraduate but also early postgraduate level are being treated in a lot of these programs well yeah I mean when you look at traditional um, academia the academia route is is not set up for women it's not set up for flexible work it's not set up for maternity leave and there's very well documented um, statistics about the drop-off rates so um, and if you if it's hard to see those above you that look like you or or have the same um, I guess environment that you're in and it just makes it that much harder for the pioneers. Beautiful example here, Gemma Green, Power Ledger. Um, I had her on one of my other podcasts and I was interviewing her in the studio. She was in Perth and she had her six-week-old son (laughs) strapped onto her, all right? And he was like making sort of gentle noises, but it was fine. And I was interviewing her and we had this very fine technical interview and went into great technical detail. And it was just like, of course, she's got her child with her. She's just given birth to him. Why wouldn't she? But it was like, there was something that was both beautiful because you knew it was rare. And then there's this other side that said, wait, this is the way it always should be. How is this only a rare thing? That we're sort of, we're not quite across that gap yet. Yeah. And it's, it's I guess, you know, you don't want to go to the other extent of, you know, labeling everyone a mompreneur. But, well, um, she was not coming across as a no, mompreneur. No, but um, there's there's just so many labels, and everyone wants to just easily categorize yeah. everyone into, oh, you're a startup founder, or you're, yeah. you know, a mom, or you're a podcast creator. It's really hard to show that we're all on an actual continuum. Right, exactly, um, and that we op- occupy several points on it. Exactly, um, and I guess, yeah, I, I mean, personally. I can't identify with this number, but it just stresses me out. Well, but I think this is the point. I think all of us are like, well, we really ought to be doing better. And when we actually put it to the test, we're like, okay. But then it's like as a female founder, um, sometimes you think to yourself, am I getting put on this panel because I'm a woman? Am I... 
am I being asked by media this question because I'm a woman? So one time, a couple of years ago, Murray and I got called up by the same media outlet on the same day. I got asked what it was like to be a woman founding a startup. He got asked a question about the prime minister. Why couldn't I have been asked a question about prime minister and he get asked about why can't he work with, how's it like to work with um, a woman in in this environment? You know, so it's, um, yeah, there is... I don't know much about either one, so uh, either prime minister or. I think women. I got I got the easier question, I guess, for myself. But it's um, yeah, that example is always really stuck in my head. So, I mean, I know it, how can we change it? Well, what can we do? It, it, I think that the thing that maybe is a bit deflating is that we're seeing that startup land. We want it to be special and different and not part of the broader culture, and yet we are. Right, and we're going to reflect all of the complexity and brokenness, and you know, mixed attitudes of that larger culture. But I guess the beauty of it is that we are still quite a young culture, mm. and we have the opportunity to change this. And it doesn't just have to be, you know, there's there's less women represented also in VC. Yes. And when you look at VC, where are the women being placed in the roles? They're predominantly in community roles yeah. and in non-financial decision-making yes. roles. Yes, the roles that are seen as nurturing. Yeah. Right. And so I was listening the other day to um, the podcast, How I Built This, and it was the woman from Rent the Runway. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how um, when she would speak to a VC, because her, her startup was around fashion, actually it was around logistics, um, the VC would go, oh, I'll have to check with my wife my PA or my daughter to validate the idea. That's like, oh. Or the fact that the woman from Spanx, the reason why she was able to get her line inside one of the largest um, brand, uh, Mark, um, I think it was Neiman Marcus, was because the buyer was a woman and she was able to take the woman into the bathroom and show her how Spanx worked. Yeah. You know, so... Um, Ah, oh, God, this gets me all riled up and I'm jet lagged. But, um, <laughs> but uh, what but, I'm saying is there's a lot that needs to be done um, yeah. across this entire community so that this number can change. I think it has to happen outside the community. Like if, yeah, that too. Like one of the most fascinating things uh, in my time at UTS so far has been, for example, the gender ratio. It's a problem before people get to university. Yes. So if in the example you were listing before of a parents bringing their children into things like this uh it's their responsibility to build the entrepreneurs of the future to take your daughter and give her the coding books and the entrepreneurial books uh get your teenage daughter a book on uh, lean startup by eric reese or zero to one by peter Thiel, and just get them inspired that's why i love tech girls as superheroes Uh, you know like i've been a mentor with them for a couple of years now and it's great to see these Ten nine-year-olds, and now they're thirteen, and they're they're you know getting involved in coding still in high school. I'm like, thank God, this is where it, you know, usually the shift happens. Either they drop it or they keep it. Yep. Um, generation entrepreneur uh, oh, yeah. for high schoolers is quite good. All right, uh, so let let's sort of move toward a close with a much more positive question because you ask <laughs> well, no, because one of the questions you ask is where people are learning. Who are they learning from? And I always love this because it's the question sort of about mentoring and connecting. And you have a lot of data in that area. YouTube <laughs> <laughs> was the number one this year. Um, I, it's a wonderful world we live in where the best educational resources are uh, mostly freely available. Yeah. Uh, and to log on the, onto the internet and look at YouTube, Stack Overflow, Stack Exchange, Udemy, 
Cora. Uh, right, so those, are, those are all tech skills, but I'm, I'm talking about sort of the other stuff, the mentoring, that stuff, the experiential stuff. Where are they getting that from? Do we Facebook groups, okay. honestly, Khan Academy, Linda? I mean, we, we're still seeing quite a number of startups going into co-working spaces and joining accelerator programs. And the largest thing that the most highly rated thing year on year that startups say they've been benefited from is mentorship yeah and so you see especially the following one from that is co-working mm-hmm. so you know which it is, is another kind it's a peer mentorship yeah and, and i guess it's like in the you know we're sitting here today in the sydney startup hub and it itself facilitates yeah. those kinds of interactions um for those online learnings i you know i'd love to see us extend out to capturing podcasts because they're not just entertaining they're incredibly educational Oh, it'd be a walkover, surely. <laughs> this week in you know, I do have to say, I looked very close. It's like, are they doing? Oh, there's not. They're not doing podcasts. And I no, was we both, need to do that. I was both relieved and a little scared because I knew it would happen at some point. <laughs> it's got to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have we also capture which meetup groups and what membership organizations and um, you know even what media, traditional media, um, our startups are are going to. Uh, I think the scariest thing was the second highest rated book was no books. Oh. <laughs> so um, maybe we should all read a bit more. I don't know. We would need time and yes. space and permission. Well, I give you all permission to read books. But, um, and folks can find the report and download it where? Startupmustard.com. Uh, it's got the 2018 one there. It's free to download as well as all the other reports. Give the report to your daughter and your son uh, and your school, the teachers. Uh, this uh, Spread it around because I think the best way to understand the opportunity in startups is to understand the data about startups. And that's what we're trying to do here. So it's freely available. Dive in. Monica, Murray, until next year, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you so much. Thank you. University of Technology Sydney recognizes the incredible potential of the next generation of Australian startup founders. UTS believes entrepreneurship is about doing, inspiring students to take that first step on their founder journey, then encouraging them to keep going. UTS Startups supports student founders from ideation stage to launch with one-on-one mentorship and guidance to support them from across the entire startup ecosystem. This new UTS startup model focuses on connecting each founder with what they need, when they need it, as well as forging connections between members of the UTS startups community. Go see their vibrant collaboration space on Harris Street in Ultimo or visit startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. At the start of Series 6, we launched a new segment for This Week in Startups Australia, asking all of the many incubator and accelerator programs running across the country to spruik their programs to twist to listeners in their own words. This week, we'll hear from Doug Millen of the Awesome Foundation. Take it away, Doug. My name is Doug Millen, and I'm the Dean of Awesome Foundation Sydney. We're a group of 11 people who get together once a month and give away $1,000 of our own money to ideas that make Sydney more awesome. 
They're the kind of ideas that you have one day and think, man, it'd be awesome if only I had a little cash to get this off the ground. Since we started eight years ago, we've supported more than 80 awesome projects to get off the ground in Sydney. Everything from a music venue set up in an old news agency, B-Bots that help local primary school students learn programming, an awesome 80s fitness class called Physique, Laneway Learning, and even an artist residency in an old bus. We're part of a global network of more than 200 awesome foundation chapters. We fund projects in the Greater Sydney area, and other Australian chapters in Adelaide, Fleurio, Melbourne and Newcastle fund projects nearer them. We're a bit of an unusual grant-making organisation because our money is no strings attached. We hand over the $1,000 in a virtual brown paper bag, turn around and walk away. But that doesn't mean we don't have high expectations. We trust from your application that you'll do awesome things with our money. We take applications on a rolling basis all year round. We review applications on the second Tuesday of every month and call the winner the same night. The most successful applications have an awesome idea, of course, but they also have a really clear budget. If you've got a truly awesome idea and you want to apply for a grant from Awesome Foundation Sydney or one of our other chapters, tell us all about it at awesomefoundation.org. When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. That's why Campaign Monitor created an easy-to-use email marketing platform, complete with simple drag-and-drop email editor and award-winning 24-7 customer service. Campaign Monitor gives you everything you need to run beautifully designed, professional email marketing campaigns to grow your business. With their gallery of beautiful, professionally designed email templates, all of which look amazing on every device, you're bound to find something that will make your brand pop. And since Campaign Monitor uses detailed lists and smart segments, your messages instantly drive more engagement. No wonder it's used by more than 250,000 businesses worldwide. And it's rated highest in customer satisfaction among major email marketing software vendors. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com twist. Listeners who sign up and become a customer will receive a free t-shirt. Again, that's campaignmonitor.com twist. What do you do when the data tells you something you don't want to hear? Well, you could ignore the data. You could just say, yeah, this is an aberration. It doesn't really count. It doesn't fit our narrative. And so we're just going to look the other way or close your eyes or do whatever it takes to put the bad news out of mind. That is one approach. But if you do that, if you ignore the data, if you ignore the pain signal, then the problem is just going to continue. My mentor taught me something years ago. Good piece of advice. He said, Mark, reality is that which kills you if ignored long enough. We don't want to get killed by this data. We don't want to ignore it. We don't want to ignore what could be a contracting startup land. We don't want to ignore the fact that there seem to be fewer women 
going into startups than there were just a few years ago. We need to look at these things. We need to confront them. Yes, they're confronting. Yes, they're hard to digest. But we need to start to take a look at all of our practices. Why is this happening? Because in our practices are the roots for why this is happening. And I don't just mean our practices in startup land. I mean our practices as a broader culture. How is it that we've so disadvantaged women that they don't want to be coming in in these roles or that we've so set the bars against non-technical founders that that we feel they don't have something to offer. How can we reset our expectations for what people are offering, what people are bringing, what people are doing so that we can bring the kind of equity that we're expecting to see in a startup ecosystem that is growing and flourishing? That's the question posed by this year's Startup Muster. That's the question that I hope we can all answer. Big thanks to Twista sponsors MYOB, UTS, and Campaign Monitor. Their support makes our podcast possible. Thanks to Monica Wolf, Murray Herps, and Doug Millen for joining us on this episode. Now, we've rebuilt and relaunched our website at twistartupsaus.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links to all the stories. So check it out at twistartupsaus.com. We'll be back next week with more great stories from the heart of Australia's startup community. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia. Startups Australia.